Well, a very good evening to those of you tuning in online and also to those of us gathered here in the sanctuary. Once again, a very warm welcome to this, our Saturday service. And as we begin this time in the ministry of the Word, can I invite us to just bow our heads as we come to the Lord in prayer. Psalms 42 verse 1 to 2 says that as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? So Father, this evening as we gather into your house, as we gather together to listen to your word, we ask of you, Father, that you speak to us, that we may be like thirsty deers, searching for the water that will quench us. So Holy Spirit, would you just come into our midst, speak to us afresh in this last chapter in our study in the book of First Corinthians. So once again, Holy Spirit, be in our midst as we commit this day, this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, can I invite you to turn with me as we look finally to our last chapter in our study of First Corinthians. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're going to read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the very first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a white door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Verse 10, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. And verse 13, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. 
give recognition to such people. Verse 19, the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be a curse. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, when you read this chapter, I think probably some of us may be thinking right now, what can we possibly gain from this concluding chapter of Paul's letter to the Corinthians? At first glance, we may feel that, well, there's really nothing to gain from these final words of Paul. But you know, upon closer look, you will discover that it deals here with three fundamental elements dealing with Christian stewardship that is very important for us as disciples of Christ. And the three areas that Paul wants to address are the following. In the area of money, in the area of our time and opportunity, and finally, in the area of people. And you realize that these are the greatest resources of the church today. And as such, money, opportunity, and people, they must not be squandered in a careless way, but be used in a very way that will glorify the Lord. So let's begin then with what Paul has to teach us about the stewardship of money. Now you'll find that it is to the very credit of the Corinthian believers that they wrote to Paul on their concern about this collection for the saints. And this presupposed to us that the Corinthians were well aware about this fundraising project. Now, what was so special about this collection and what was its sole purpose? If you look into the text, you'll find that no explanation is given. But however, we do know that back in Paul's third missionary journey, we find that one of the main intentions of Paul back then was the relief of the poor people in Jerusalem. Thus, we have this raising of this particular collection. And in doing so, Paul really wanted to achieve, in bringing up this particular uh, collection, Paul wanted to achieve a few goals. For one thing, this was to be a part of a repayment from the Gentile Christians owed to the Jews in return for their earlier help. And this can be found in Romans chapter 15, verse 25 to verse 27. You see, there was a time back then when the Gentile church was in grave financial difficulty. They needed help. They needed money. And who came to help them was their Jewish brothers. The Jewish church came forth in offering assistance. And so now Paul is saying out of gratitude, and since that the Gentile church are now in a stable condition, it was time for them to pay back the loan. But apart from this, Paul had also hoped that this giving would be unite both the Jewish as well as the Gentiles believers as one. The funds would definitely return, to, but to, uh, uh, the funds returned by the Jews would definitely go a long way in healing any rivalry or wounds, and would even help build bridges between the two parties. 
Then it's based on Paul's instruction in this particular passage. We find that Paul wanted to enforce the teaching that see giving is an act of worship. Look with me to verse 1 and 2. He says this, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, as of the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Now these two opening verses seem to indicate to us that the people receive their monthly salary on the first day of the week. And as they receive their salary, Paul says that each of the members, as they met together in this gathering, they are expected to place their share of the offering out of their earning. In other words, they are to give something from what God had blessed them with. But you know, it's sad today when we read, when we find news of Christians who would only give out of a sense of duty and forget that their offering is really a spiritual sacrifice that is presented to the Lord. And you know what's even more tragic today? When we hear of Christians hoarding their earnings and they fail and even ignore to give what God had blessed them with. Moving on then from these two verses, we find that Paul further teaches that each believer was to put something aside when they gathered at the assembly. Meaning to say, the offerings are the personal and should be systematic. Now, I want you to note here that Paul did not specifically state how much each of the members were to give, whether it be 10% or not. And the reason I believe why it was not mentioned was probably the people already know what was the amount. <clears throat> because being Jews, they knew what the Old Testament taught, the importance of giving a tithe of what they had. So there was no need to mention whether it was 10% or not. The Jews already know that it would have to be 10%. But what is significant, however, for us was that Paul expects them to give. It is also significant for us to note that Paul does not target this appeal to give only to those who are wealthy or those who are rich or those who could afford. Listen, he calls all. He says here, each of them, meaning each and every one of the members of the church in Corinth, they were to participate in this giving in accordance with their ability. Church, the point that Paul is making here is not how much you put into the collection, but rather that each should give constantly and out from their heart. I stress again, it is not how much you put in, but it's the attitude of your heart of what you put in. And my prayer for all of us in all things that, you know, we may not be guilty of failing to do this, that we all, in all things, as God has blessed us with what we have received from our earnings, that we don't hoard it, that we ignore this call to give, but rather we be good stewards of what God has given to us in our finance and that we give to God what is accorded to Him. Lastly, when it comes to the stewardship of money, we find that when it comes to this money matters, 
Paul urges that E, money matters, must be handled honestly and with care. He states in verse 3, And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. The remark here suggests that there may have been some distrust within the church leadership in the administrating of this offering. It would not be surprising then to find that some of the Corinthians leaders, they doubted Paul's authority. And we have touched upon this in our study in 1 Corinthians. There were some of the leaders who, who didn't believe in Paul's authority as an apostle. And as such, they were not willing to entrust him with the money. But Paul makes it very clear here. He tells them that the aid, that what was collected was not meant for him. It was meant for the other churches in the region. And so he employed the various churches that was involved in this special project that they are to appoint delegates to help him take this offering safely to its destination. So it goes without saying that those who are appointed must be persons of good repute and must be trustworthy. And again, let me stress that it's unfortunate when Christian leaders, you know, they lose their ministry and their testimony as a result of this mismanagement of funds. In fact, history has listed down several unfortunate incidents for us as an example not to repeat it. History has shown us how men of God have started out well, and some of you perhaps may know some of these examples. They started out very well in their ministry. The ministry is growing. But in due time, because of temptation and because of the money, the lure of money, they fall from grace and as a result, they lose their testimony and their ministry. But we find here for Paul, he was very careful on his part. For Paul, the stewardship of money is very important. He did not allow anything to happen that would give his enemies the opportunity to accuse him of being dishonest. Thus, whenever you find that the church deals with this issue of finance, it must always be handled prudently, protecting herself from temptation as well as to prevent others from discrediting us. And I want to give all the assurance to all you members here and all saints, I want you to rest assured that we do have a strict procedure in the collection as well as an accounting of our weekly offerings, as well as, you know, banking in the amount in the bank. I also want to assure all of us that we are diligent. I want to be diligent in the way we spend our finance as so as not to squander it unnecessarily. We are to be good stewards of our finance. Secondly, as we move on to verses 9, verses 5 to 9, and based on this chapter, we find that now Paul was also very extremely careful with the use of his time or the use of the opportunity that was given to him. You find that in another of his letters, and this time as he writes to the church in Ephesians, he says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Church, as Christians, we all have 24 hours, no more, no less. We cannot afford to kill time or waste the opportunities that was presented to us. Hence, you find here that Paul was very transparent. He was very transparent in informing those in Corinth of his future plans and ministry. In summary, he tells us that his idea was to head down towards Macedonia for a, for a time of ministry in verse 5. And then he was to spend mid-winter at Corinth before traveling to Judea with the collection, verse 6. And what is worth noting, that in all these statements, it seems rather tentative. He says, for I intend, and he says, perhaps I will stay or even spend the winter wherever I go. He says, I hope if the Lord permits. You see, friends, the key is this. How we plan and use our time and the opportunities must ultimately be governed by God. You see, we can have the best laid out plans, but if it's not as the Lord directs or permits, it will all be in vain. So what Paul was implying was simply this, that we need to ensure that we move in God's direction. To ensure that we don't end up shifting from plan A to plan B, you know, but rather we stick to what God wants us to do, what we must do is simply to use our common sense, take the necessary time to pray, study the situation, and then seek to know best what God desires of us. And you know, the best example that I can share with you is that of Nehemiah. And we know the story, isn't it? Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was an exile. He was taken out from Jerusalem and, 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 and brought to the different place, and he served as a cupbearer under King Artaxerxes. <coughs> and we are told that in the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 1, that while he was serving in the king's court, news came to him that his homeland, Jerusalem, was in ruins. The walls were broken, the gates were, were, were not being built up. And this concerned him greatly. Because it, 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 it speaks of the pride of Israel. It speaks about security for the people of Israel. And so his heart was troubled. But what could he do? He wanted to go back to rebuild the walls. But as you know, being a cupbearer, being an exile, he couldn't possibly ask the king for permission to leave. And so what did he do? We are told that Nehemiah prayed. He prayed, he seeked the Lord. And then... We are told in chapter 2 that when the opportunity came, Nehemiah took it. And amazingly, as he sensed that that was the Lord's direction, he took it. You know, the king asked him, how long are you going to be away? Rebuilding the walls, huh? It's not going to take one day, two days. It's going to take months. And lo and behold, when he told the king that he's going to do it, the king allowed him to go. And not only that, he, he dared to approach the king and ask for, for safety because, you know, as, as he traveled, he needs the protection. The king gave him the protection. And then he even dared to ask the king for provision, for wood, for timber, to rebuild the walls and the gates. And if you read the passage in Nehemiah chapter 2, 
King Artaxerxes gave him everything that he asked for. How was this possible? Because Nehemiah took the opportunity and the time that God gave to him. If he moved before or he moved after that, the opportunity will be gone. So church, let's be good stewards of the time. <clears throat> and the time is now. And I want to encourage us, as I shared with some of you in, in your cell groups, I shared with you what God has spoken to me in Isaiah 16, that God is doing something in our midst. This is the opportunity. This is the time. We need to take and ride the wave of God and move with Him. Because if we don't do this, we'll be lagging behind and we will not be seen as a growing church glorifying God. So church, let us be encouraged, seek the opportunity and move together. We must be good stewards of our resources. We must be good stewards of our time. And the third and final area of stewardship that Paul wants us to be mindful of is that of people, you and I. People are the church's greatest asset. And yet, all too often, they are taken for granted. But you know, Paul is someone who is not like that. You find that in the ending of his letters, he named various people who were part of his life and ministry. And in this letter, it was no different. And as you look into the verses 10 to 24, you find what a variety of people they were. And this only goes to show to us that Paul was not only a soul winner, but he valued friendship as well. Many of the people that he connected with, they eventually found their way into service for the Lord. You find that Jesus himself was another example of someone who valued people. Investing in his disciples for three long years, he gave of his time in mentoring them before sending them out to make other disciples. And as you find the remaining verses here, Paul lists down a set of names of people whom he invested and subsequently served together with him for the sake of the gospel. The first person that he named is that of Timothy. Timothy, along with Titus, they were Paul's special assistants, and usually they were sent to the most difficult assignments. What we know about this young man was that he came from a godly home. He was brought up in the faith by his grandmother, Louis, and his mother, Eunice, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. But what is also interesting is that it was Paul who led this young man to Christ, leading the apostle to formally referring Timothy as my true child in the faith. And so under Paul's tutelage, Paul mentored this young man, and he eventually took over the ministry at Ephesus, not a very easy place to minister. And then looking at the context of verse 10, verse 10 seems to indicate to us that Paul's protege had some, you know, kind of physical and emotional issue that Paul wanted the Corinthians to be mindful of. Because being a young man in ministry, he needed all the support and encouragement that he could possibly get. But the important thing here for the Corinthians to keep note was that Timothy was serving the Lord. Young as he may be, 
He was someone who was willing to serve the Lord. Now, granted, no church should expect every minister to be like Paul, huh? or maybe, you know, we should expect every minister to preach like Billy Graham. Yes, young people studying out in the service, they may lack experience, but they do have great potential. And where God calls you, who are we to look down on them? And in the church, we ought, in our church in all sense, we ought to be thankful for these young talents that God has given to us. And because God has blessed us with these young talents, whether they may be serving in the music ministry or in the youth or wherever it may be, we should be thankful and we should learn to support them. Rather than constantly despising them, or as Paul mentions in verse 11, putting them down, we should instead be encouraging them. You know, in my years of ministry, I have the joy of really discipling and walking besides many new and young believers. And let me tell you, it is this group of young believers that need to be guided or else they will fall away by the influence of the world. If no one is willing to mentor them, if no one is willing to disciple them, how can they grow up to be the future Billy Graham? How can they grow up to be the future Bishop of Singapore? How can they grow up to be leaders in the church? So the question, therefore, I raise to all of us is this. Who have you mentored today? Is there someone in our midst who is young and needs that guidance? Would you be the one to go up, mentor, disciple, and guide that young one into the faith so that he can grow up eventually to be a leader for the Lord? The next name on Paul's list from verse 12 to 14 is that of the man Apollos. We heard of this name before. And in mentioning Apollos, this is an indication for us here that both Paul and Apollos, they knew each other well. And most likely, they served together in ministry. The closeness is seen in verse 12, where Paul did not hesitate to encourage Apollos to return to Corinth. Thus, it is clear that there was no animosity or envy between the two men as what we have seen in chapter 1. And so the question for us as we look into the life of Apollos, the question we need to ask ourselves is this. If Apollos and Paul were able to minister together as one, are we ministering together as one? Or is there always bickering with each other between different cell groups, between leaders in the church, between one another? To be good stewards of people, we need to learn to work together as one. The next name Paul mentioned in verse 15 is that of a man named Stephanus. And it's claimed by Paul here, he was one of the very first converts in Achaia. And we are told that since then, this man devoted himself to the service of the saints. Verse 15. Now, you know, the beauty of this verse implies that whenever Stephanus saw a need, 
He went to meet it without waiting to be asked. Meaning to say he was like the Good Samaritan. When he saw someone in need, when he saw someone in difficulty, he straight away went there and gave off his life to help the particular person. But you know, often in our context, it is the other way around. We act as though we are so important that the church leaders need to urge us and sometimes to the point of begging you, can you please volunteer in the music ministry? Can you please volunteer in the church in, in the Sunday school? Church, we must change this attitude and be like Stephanus. That when he saw the need, he was there ready to meet the needs. We must not wait for the question to pop up. Will you? Instead, we must be responding, I will. Here I am. And the last name on Paul's list, I like this. It's the husband and wife team of Aquila and Priscilla. Now you find that this dedicated couple, their lives and ministry interacted and intertwined with Paul. And you know, every local church even us, we must be thankful for such a team like Aquila and Priscilla, for they are vital clock in the ministry of the church. And all saints, we are truly grateful that we do have people like this. We do have husband and wife team. I think some of you straight away, you can shoot out names, huh? Okay? Karimine and Elsha, yeah? Where are they? They're not here today. Praise them, they're not here today. Oh, Allah, my. <coughs> okay, never mind, okay? But yeah, Karima and Elsha, thank you. You are an excellent example of husband and wife team. You know, recently we have Joe and, and Joe Kong and, and, and Pastor Carol. They work together as a team. And I believe many others as well as in our church. You can rise up and we need more of such people in the church today. And so as we close, as I invite the team, worship team to come up, and as uh, I ask Ming-Hui to just play the intro of the song, you know, as we close our concluding study in 1 Corinthians, I want to lastly re re refer to this last two verses in verses 13 and 14. Because I think these are very important words for us. We're talking about good stewardship of money and so forth, but I think we need to be good stewards of ourselves as well. And verse 13 and 14 tells us exactly this. Where Paul says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And here in a nutshell, Paul's instruction is simply for us for you and I, that we are to be good stewards of our life. To break it down then, to be watchful, simply means we need to be alert. Alert to what? Alert to the many dangers of the world that is around us. To know the many deadly worldviews, the false doctrines, the wrong ideologies that can influence the Christian life into the wrong path. You see, it's so easy to say that, you know, it will never happen to me. 
It can be so easy to say that this church is never wrong because it is a big church. But we need to be alert to the dangers. And the way that we can be alert to this danger, as what Paul mentions next, is we need to stand firm in the faith. So to be good stewards of your life, it's not only to be alert of the dangers, it's not only to be watchful, but we need to stand firm. Meaning to say that the Word of God must first be rooted in our lives constantly and daily. So how are we in the Word of the Lord? Are we like the deer that pants after the water? Do we constantly spend time, not only just quiet time, let me just urge you, take the next step. Study the Word of God. It's great that you're joining cell group. It's great that some of you are joining BSF. Some of you are joining Pastor Mabel's Wednesday Women's Fellowship. What about the men? Do we have a men's study group? Are we grounding ourselves Rooting ourselves in the Word such that we know what is right and what is wrong. And finally, Paul says that we are to be good stewards of our lives. When our actions, when our actions towards others are done in agape love and not in spite or hatred. Let all that you do be done in love. So are we loving one another? Know that when we correct one another, it is not to spite you, it is not to put you down. That whenever we correct you, it is out of love because we don't want you to fall away. We are to seek that peace and reconciliation at all times. So as we close our study in 1 Corinthians and as we end, Let's practice this good stewardship in the areas of our money, of our time and opportunity, as well as to the people that are around us.